I'm learning something as I grow older and as I grow older in my faith. And it's this. It takes humility to pray. And prayer, the more I pray, the more humility I have. It takes humility to pray. Well, at least to pray the right way because there is an incorrect way to pray. You know, the prayer that... You treat God as if he's Santa Claus or the genie in the bottle and it's all about your demands, your wishes, and your wants in life. You know, it's like that you come at them with that machine gun list. That's really not humility. That's kind of like what happens when we place our interests ahead of God's interests. And I'm learning that. Not that prayer's bad in any level, I mean, but there is a better way to pray. Um, the way I'm learning to pray, though, is from an awareness of who God is and an awareness of who I am. Uh, so I'm learning that it takes humility to pray and that the more I pray, the more humility I have. I'm learning that these two are, they, they go hand in hand. It, it's kind of like a cycle. Uh, one leads to the other. And it's also like a catch-22 that without more of one, I won't have more of the other. And we're going to talk more about that in a moment. Uh, my name is Casey, and I am humbled uh, to be with you today. Uh, so grateful for those of you who have joined us uh, today, and maybe this is your first time, uh, or maybe the first time in a long time. We're grateful that you're here. If it is your first time um, and you're new with us, uh, we have a gift for you, and we'd love to give you that gift right after the service today. Uh, if So after the service, after we, uh, in a moment, we're going to sing uh, together in response to this teaching, and then we're going to close the service out. And after that, if you'll make your way through the lobby into our welcome center, a host will be in there and they'd love to uh, give you a gift for being with us today and in your time there if you'll just give us like three or four minutes we'd love to share with you four things about who we are as a church and uh, we we hope that um, this is a place that you feel welcomed accepted and encouraged and challenged to follow Jesus and we want to let you know how grateful we are to share this time with you right now so Westside would you help me and do that with all those that are new with us yeah So we are on the downhill slope of this series we've been calling a Daniel generation, where we've been looking at the book of Daniel, looking at the lives of uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, and looking at what they teach us. And what they teach us, we're learning, is what our series Big Idea is all about. And here it is. Here's the series Big Idea. Live a faith that stands out in a culture shutting God out. They model to us what it means to live a faith that stands out in a culture shutting God out. Now today, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 4, verse 25. We're going to jump there in a moment. Um, but lead, I, want to t I kind of want to prep this. I want to, I want to let you know where we are in the text here in chapter 4 and, and let you see what's happening in the context here. As we are coming up to verse 25, um, 
in, in seeing Daniel's story, King Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king of Babylon. Babylon is the nation who is ruling over Israel. Israel are exiles. The nation of Israel is exile, uh, are exiles in Babylon. And so Babylon has taken over the land and the nation. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has a perplexing dream. His wise officials uh, and wizards cannot interpret the dream. So what he does is he calls Belshazzar, who we know as Daniel, and he calls him to interpret the dream. And a couple of weeks ago, we read how Daniel, and we read this encounter where Daniel interprets this dream when Nebuchadnezzar would not even disclose what happened in order what the dream was all about. He wouldn't even disclose it. And so Daniel, being the kingdom risk taker that he is, he prays that God would reveal to him what the dream means and and really what the dream was so he could know the meaning so that King Nebuchadnezzar would not kill Daniel and not kill the court officials because that's what was going to be the outcome if nobody could interpret this dream that he would not disclose to anybody. (laughs) Um, a very insurmountable and almost impossible situation for any normal person. But God sees Daniel. Daniel humbles himself, comes to God, and prays. And God reveals the dream to Daniel. And Daniel, uh, he also reveals the interpretation to Daniel. Then Daniel boldly shares with King Nebuchadnezzar what the dream is and an interpretation. And thus he saves all of those that the king threatened to kill. In Daniel 4, King Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. Another dream that no one can interpret. And this time he discloses the dream. He lets them know about what the dream is. So King Nebuchadnezzar can't find anybody in his court, officials and wizards to interpret this dream. So he calls, makes a phone call to the bullpen and calls in Daniel. Daniel comes in, uh, he prays, God gives Daniel the interpretation, and the interpretation that God gives Daniel is not very encouraging and not very exciting this time. However, Daniel is more concerned about honoring God than Daniel is about having the favor of the king. So Daniel doesn't soften the meaning of the interpretation of the dream. The short version of the interpretation of this dream is this. Because King Nebuchadnezzar will not acknowledge God Most High, God is going to humiliate the king and drive him out of his kingdom That he, in, in, in a very humiliating way. Now, some may remember, you might remember, wait, wait a second. Um, he did acknowledge that God was Most High. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, the three Hebrew boys being delivered from the fiery furnace. Remember talking about that? And King Nebuchadnezzar, um, he, he, he says, and he, he, he says that um, in that moment that God is most high. And, and he makes this confession that, that he professes that there's no other God who can save the way God most high does. So he kind of makes this profession. You think, wait a second, didn't he just kind of profess this? Why is this dream happening? Well, Yes, he did make the confession, but he didn't believe it. And this is important to know. He may have said it, but he didn't live as if it was true. Kind of landing home. (laughs) 
Um, see, believing something is much more than confessing it with our words. Believing something is more than just saying what we know we need to say. Because King Nebuchadnezzar did not believe or live as if God were most high. God graciously warned the king that if he does not humble himself, God will cause the king to live. And this is the exact interpretation of the dream. God's going to cause the king to live with the wild animals, eat grass like an ox, and wake up covered in dew every morning. A humiliating outcome for a dignified, powerful king. In Daniel 4.25, we read what Daniel tells the king when finishing the interpretation of this dream. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge, look at this, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth, a.k.a. including your kingdom, O King Nebi. And God gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored. What a gracious way that God treats King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. And by the way, that means you acknowledge you do not rule. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. So unsolicited, boldly, Daniel gives the king the advice. And what Daniel says next is so important. And if you don't remember anything I say today, may you remember the advice Daniel gives King Nebuchadnezzar. He says to the king, Renounce your sins by doing what is right. And your wickedness. Renounce your sins and renounce your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. This right here that we just read together, this is the gospel in Daniel. This is the good news that God gives and a good news, a gospel that is woven and it's hidden in all... It's not really that hidden, actually. (laughs) It's revealed through the text of the entire scriptures that we have. Repent. Renounce your sin and be saved. Repent. Renounce your sin and be saved. This is the gospel, and this is the gospel that God reveals to King Nebuchadnezzar through the prophet Daniel. One, acknowledge that God is the Most High, and that acknowledge that God Most High is sovereign over all. In fact, what that means is He is over all things, and that means He is over me. Acknowledge this. He's over all things. His kingdom is over all kingdoms of this earth, and that, that means even your kingdom Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, that's what, you are not Lord, God is Lord over all. And all of this, including you, King Nebuchadnezzar, all of this including you, it comes from God, and all that you have belongs to Him. He is sovereign, and acknowledge that. And then two, turn. That's what repent means. 
Repent means to turn. Turn from your sin. And, and Daniel says, turn from your sin by doing what is right. How do you turn from sin? You don't do turn from your sin and do something else that's sin. You turn from sin by doing the right thing. Turn from your sin by doing what is right. And then he says, turn or renounce your sin. Renounce your wickedness. So turn from your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. Turn from your wickedness by being selfless. And this is the gospel that Jesus would come to share and model to us. This is also the gospel that Jesus reveals and he demonstrates on a platform that would be revealed to all humanity. Fast forward with me. Jesus comes into our world and shows us that he is God most high, that he is Lord of all lords, that he is king of all kings. And Jesus comes to show us and demonstrate to you and I who God is and what God is truly like. Jesus is Lord Most High. And His kingdom is what we are all under. It's His authority that He has all authority in heaven and on earth. It's been given to Him and it's His rule that we are to follow. And when we receive Jesus as Savior and confess Him as Lord... We are saved. This is what the gospel is. John, in John 1, 2, John is writing about Jesus, God, the God-man Jesus, Jesus God incarnate. And, and he's writing about Jesus coming into this earth. And he gets to verse 12 and he says, if, to all who receive him, if you receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. The gospel it, it, of Jesus is, is that you can do it. Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, who is a remarkable story. I encourage you to e- explore who the Apostle Paul is if you don't know who the Apostle Paul is. He writes to a church in Rome and he says in Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 that if we declare with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, he says you will be saved. And then he says something. He says, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. You know the evidence that you believe the Most High God, and you believe in the Most High God? The evidence is that you confess Jesus is Lord of all, and you turn from sin by doing what is right, by pursuing what is right. But not what you think is right, not what culture says is right, by what Jesus says is right. We pursue what is right by Jesus. This is the evidence that Jesus is Lord, not just confessing with our mouth, but believing it in our heart. And what you believe is true is what you live out. Because our actions reveal our beliefs. Our actions, your actions, demonstrate what you truly believe. And if we believe that Jesus is Lord, then we will live as if Jesus is Lord and renounce that we are Lord. That we do what we want. See, turning away from sin, that is repentance. Not just saying I was wrong, not just saying I'm sorry, or I made a mistake, or I messed up, that was dumb. That's not, that's not repentance. 
Repentance is doing what is right by Jesus. It's turning from sin, renouncing what I did, and walking away from it. And when you walk away from that by doing what is right, and Jesus defines what is right, he, when he invites you and I and commands you and I, follow me. Follow me. Follow my way of living. Follow how I live. Follow what I do. See, Jesus defines that. But if you're any way like me, and maybe you are, there's something in us that keeps us and prevents us from doing this. Pride. Pride will keep me from living as Jesus is Lord. Pride will keep me from living as if Jesus is Lord. And pride will keep me from repenting of my sin. Pride will say, man, I'm sorry, but, you know, pride is going to, I'm going to likely do it again. That's really my pride. That's my pride. Pride will keep you from turning from sin because you believe, honestly, you believe that you're your own boss or somebody else or something else is in charge or in control. Pride convinces you and I that what you believe is right in your own eyes. And what you believe is right is all that matters. That's what pride convinces us of. And pride assures us that, if, that, that you get to make up all the rules. This is what pride will, could tell you. And it's like, you know, you get to make up the rules. You get to determine how the game's played. Pride then persuades you to believe that your way and my way, pride makes me think that my way is better than God's way. And pride is what keeps me and pride will keep you from repenting of your sin, renouncing it because you want to be Lord. You do not want to submit to anyone else, much less God, as Lord. See, pride is my problem, and pride was the problem of Babylon. Pride was King Nebuchadnezzar's problem. And maybe, just maybe, pride is your problem, too. It requires humility to submit to Jesus as Lord and turn from my sin by doing what is right by Jesus. That takes humility. It requires humility to submit to Jesus. It takes humility to do what is right by Jesus, not justifying what I think is right. Because that's my pride that justifies what I want to be right. It takes humility to renounce my sin, turn from my sin, and follow Jesus' way of life. And now, we know what is right by what Jesus declares is right. And it takes humility to follow his way. Now, back to King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar did not have humility. And he one day walks out and says, he, so he didn't believe that God was most high. He did not have humility. He walks out, looks over his kingdom, and it says, is this not, and this is kind of like my paraphrase, but almost in verbatim, okay? Is this not, and, and actually I'm going to say it in a way that I believe he said it, so you cannot infer that he said it this way, okay? So I'm going to go into my Shakespeare. You ready? 
Is this not the great Babylon that I have built for my glory and my majesty? Actually, he says something pretty much exactly like that. Maybe not that way. So clearly, King Nebuchadnezzar did not believe God was most high. He clearly did not repent and submit to God most high. And he definitely, definitely did not do what was right by God's definition of what was right. So God does what God said he would do through the interpretation of the dream. God removes King Nebuchadnezzar from his kingdom until he submits and comes back under God's authority and submits to heaven's rule. God the Most High humbles the not-so-mighty king of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar's kicked out of the kingdom that he runs and he has been in charge of for many years. He becomes a madman. Literally, he becomes a madman. He eats the grass like an ox and he's covered and he lives with the wild animals and he wakes up covered in the dew of the morning. He was humiliated. Then King Nebuchadnezzar repents and praises the Most High God. In his own words, in King Nebuchadnezzar's own words that Daniel, the book of Daniel, records... This is what he says. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt. Look at that. I don't just praise, I exalt the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. This is after he just became a madman. And then look at this. And I bet if he were to just share his wisdom of the things that he learned, he might just in one sentence tell you his life lesson. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. The king of the most powerful empire, known in this time, would look at you maybe and look at me maybe and say, everything God does is right. All his ways are just. And I've learned that God humbles those who walk in pride. That was my story. And this is a big story in Scripture. This is actually a common theme all the way through Scripture. Those who walk in pride, God will humble. Those who walk in humility, God will exalt. You see it all the way through the stories of Scripture. God, that, that those who live as if they are God, those who live as if they are in charge, God will humble. And those who humbly submit to God, God will exalt all the way throughout the scriptures that we have. This time and time again, God humbles the proud and then God exalts the humble. See, it takes humility for Jesus to be Lord of your life. It requires humility. It requires humility to confess that Jesus is Lord. And it requires humility to follow Jesus as Lord. And if we don't walk in humility with Jesus as Lord and his kingdom first, God will humble us. Now back to the book of Daniel. Daniel 
has humility. We read this. We actually looked at several stories where Daniel shows us humility. He's an example of humility. Daniel walks in humility, and you see time and time again, God exalts Daniel. And, 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 and God exalts the three Hebrew boys because of their humility. See, giving this Hebrew, God exalts Daniel. And what God has done several times, we read this in the, the opening, as we open the series, God exalts Daniel. He gives him a high rank in, in, in the Babylon kingdom. He gives him a high rank in King Nebuchadnezzar's court because God exalts the humble. The book of Daniel and, 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 and even history will reveal to us something happens. The Persian Empire takes over Babylon. Babylon, and we read about this in, in, in chapter, at the end of chapter 4. It's just turn of the page and all of a sudden a, Bab- a Persian king is now in charge. And history, other outside historical references confer this and, and concur with this. And in this, God continues to honor Daniel because Daniel is submitted to God and does what is right by God. He continues to do this. He walks in humility. God gives Daniel favor with the new king, King Darius, and God proves that he God continues to prove that he exalts those who humble themselves. Daniel has humility, and he had humility because Daniel was submitted to God Most High. Jesus also modeled this life of humility. I mean, look at the life of Jesus. Daniel was an Old Testament model of humility. Jesus is our ultimate model of humility. And, and Jesus, <laughs> it, it, it shows us this. In fact, humility he is the evidence that we believe in Jesus and we follow Jesus as our Lord. Humility is a character trait. It's, it's a characteristic of being a follower of Jesus. It's an evidence. It's evidence that he is Lord of our life. Jesus taught what it means to have humility. Jesus would gather the little children, and, and, and you remember times like this. You, if you've read the New Testament, maybe you remember this. He would gather little children, and he would say, unless you become humble like a child, unless you become like a child, which he was talking about the humility of a child, unless you become humble like a child, you will never be part of the kingdom of God. He would say things like this to his disciples when they would get in like feuds with one another, when they get become contentious. Jesus would teach that those who exalt themselves will be last. But those who are last here on earth will be first in the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus taught. See, humility is a characteristic of those who have received Jesus as Savior and who have confessed Him as Lord. Humility is a product of submission to Jesus. The followers of Jesus knew this was the marker of God's Spirit living inside of the, the new breed this new breed of humanity. See, the new breed of humanity, the new breed, the new humanity, the being born again that changes in us is a humility that we have. Listen to what Peter, who was not a humble man before meeting uh, the resurrected Jesus. I mean, he was not a humble man, okay? Resurrection, and you meet a resurrected Savior, and you believe in that resurrected Savior, and you submit to that resurrected Savior, that Savior becomes your Lord, it will change you. And humility becomes a product of Peter. Listen to what he says. 
to this church who are exiles scattered all through the world, and specifically Asia Minor. He says, all of you, all of you, clothe yourself. Look at that. Clothe yourself in or with humility toward one another. Clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Because, look at this, the thread through all Scripture, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. He opposes. You know what opposes is? An opponent. My pride makes me God's enemy. Because God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud. But shows favor to those who clothe themselves in humility. So clothe yourself in humility humility toward one another. Then he says, humble yourselves. Look at this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Look at that. Humble yourselves. And when you humble yourselves, what God do? He lifts you up in due time. Maybe it's not in your time, because <laughs> that's what I want, right? But then there, you go, there I go again, being Lord, making life all about my way and my timeline. No, 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 no. He does it in his time. And then he says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace (laughs) who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while he will restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast to him be power forever and ever amen I want you to do me a favor do yourself a favor will you highlight underline however you want to make it stand out verses 6 and 7 Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. Get rid of your humility and humble yourselves. Submit to him. And then, look at this. Cast your anxiety, all your anxiety, all your worries, cast all your worries on him. Why? Because he cares for you. You know what that is? That's prayer. What do you do when you pray? God, I give everything and I give everyone to you. That's prayer. I'm casting it all on you. I'm not capable. I'm not able. This is outside my ability. This is outside my control. I'm desperate. I am desperate for you. And then he says, resist him. He goes on standing from the faith. That's repentance. That's renouncing our sin and living out our faith by standing faithful to him. James, the half-brother of Jesus, I didn't put it in your notes, I just put it as a reference. In, in chapter four, 4, verses 6 through 8, he says the same thing. He says, God opposes the proud but gives, shows favor to the humble. And then he says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then he says this, come near to God. 
Come near to God. Come near to God. And you know what happens when you come near to God? God, you're going to find out, has already come near to you. Come near to God. And God will come near to you. You know what? You know how we come near to God? In prayer. We come near to God in prayer. Humility leads us to pray. And the more we pray, the more humility we have. But pride, pride keeps us from prayer. Pride will make you say that I don't feel comfortable praying. See, this is my pride. If I don't feel comfortable, pride will say I'm not good enough at prayer. So I, don't, I shouldn't pray. And I, and I say this sincerely and I say this respectfully and I say this knowing that many struggle with prayer. I know that this is not an easy thing. In fact, more people, it's a harder thing to do. And I know that many people, and, and maybe some of us here today, feel insecure praying. I get that. I, 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 I'm insecure sometimes. And for those who don't like praying or for those who feel insecuring, insecure praying, I, I just want to challenge you from my own experiences and from my own learning. I'm learning that my insecurity is an expression of my pride. That's what I'm learning. That insecurity is really a cover for my pride. Insecurity is not humility. We mask it as that. It's my pride that makes me give in to my insecurity. Insecurity is my pride protecting me because I am worried about what people think. My, it's my, my insecurity is, is my pride uh, protecting me about what may happen to me if I step out on this. It's my insecurity that's rooted in my pride. But humility, humility leads me to prayer because I trust and I believe and my faith is in that God is most high over all, even what I go through even though in those that I'm insecure in the presence of them. See, humility is a character trait of the Daniel generation that is tied to a regular behavior of prayer. And prayer is an expression of our humility. And your pride and my pride is going to be the very reason we do not pray. And here's the teaching big idea for today. A Daniel generation walks in humility and is committed to prayer. This is what a Daniel generation, this is what defines, this is, this is the outcome of a Christian, a true Christian, the real Christian, the real new breed of this humanity Jesus came to start. This is what one looks like. This is the evidence, one of the evidence, humility, one who clothes themselves in humility or is walking in humility. Someone who is committed to prayer. It doesn't have to be perfect prayer. It's just sincere prayer, fully dependent and submitted to God most high. That prayer, it's a humble prayer. Now I want to jump back to Daniel's story. Daniel, we've seen, was humble. He did not seek fame. He did not seek fortune. And he did not seek power or control. 
And Daniel shows us that when one does, that, that one does not need power when one is submitted to God's power. Daniel reveals that one does not need authority when we are submitted to God, the ultimate authority. And Daniel models that we do not need to seek provision when we understand and we are uh, uh, under, and we don't need profit when we believe that everything and everyone belong, comes from God and belongs to Him. You don't go after those things when you believe he is the source of all these things. So in the story of Daniel, Persia has defeated Babylon. We talked about that. Now the Israelites are under the rule of King Darius. Daniel has God's favor and King Darius's favor and remains as one of the three administrators in King Darius's court. Then a scheme is executed to exploit Daniel. Daniel's court colleagues become jealous and angry with Daniel because of Daniel's integrity and commitment to honor God above all else and remain faithful to him. And if you don't know this story, let me just kind of uh, uh, summarize it. The jealous officials convince Darius to write a new law, and this new law says no one can pray to anyone except the king. Nobody can pray. Or they'll be thrown into the lion's den. But as we've learned... A Daniel generation trusts God above all else, trusts God no matter what, and trusts God even if, right? We've seen this. The law signed, and this is what we read. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, his God, just as he had done before. Bold move, Daniel! It's not just, no, okay, I'll, I'll do it in secret. No, this is no, he does a, like a protest. He opens the window, gets in front of the window, and, and, and what he does here, he makes it more obvious that he is only depending upon God most high. He protests this law, praying next to the window, and so all can see his commitment is to God most high and the jealous colleagues. Go then to King Darius. Verse 13, they say to the king, Daniel, who is, uh, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, order the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. So they arrest Daniel because Daniel remained faithful to God most high. See that? They arrest Daniel. And then it, well, you'll read this. And then Daniel is arrested and thrown into the lion's dig. Why? Because Daniel was submitted to God most high and Daniel was fully dependent upon God most high. He was confident that if he stays humble, what does God do to the humble? God lifts the humble, right? God lifts the humble. So he humbles himself in prayer. They throw him down into a pit and the lions did. And this is how the story ends. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. The king was worried all night long. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. This integrity. This, I've been integrity, in integrity this entire time. The king was overjoyed. Now, check it out. He was overjoyed and gave orders to what? Lift. <laughs> Lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel, look at this, as if he did, the, the writer repeats himself, Daniel was lifted from the den. The wound was found on him because of what? He trusted. 
in his God. Prayer is a voice of trust in our God. And it takes humility to trust God no matter what, to trust God above all else and to trust God even if. And when we humble ourselves before him, God lifts up the humble just like they lifted Daniel out of the lion's den. See, God humbles the proud. And if you read the rest of the story, you're going to find out how God humbled the proud in this. He humbles the court officials who are in their pride against God. And those court officials became victims of very hungry lions. Prayer is a humble submission to God that acknowledges our dependence on His mercy and trust in His grace. That's what prayer is. It's a humble submission to God that we acknowledge our dependence on His mercy. We acknowledge He's Lord over all and we acknowledge our dependence on His mercy. And we acknowledge our trust in His grace. There's a prayer that has been called the Jesus Prayer. It's a prayer that has been prayed for over two millennia now. It's a prayer that takes humility. And I believe it's a prayer that builds humility. It's a prayer that Jesus elevates when he tells the parable and tells a parable, a story, a short story to those who are prideful. And as I read this, I want you to hear Jesus making the comparisons of the pride and humility. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, who is like a religious person, and the other a tax collector, a non-religious person, the farthest thing from a religious person. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get, but the tax, and then, then, then he shifts and he says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all who exalt, all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted, will be lifted up. This is a humble prayer of a Jesus follower. This is the prayer that keeps us walking in humility. What this tax collector said. God have mercy on me, a sinner. Would you write that in that blank that's on your notes? God have mercy on me, a sinner. God have mercy on me, a sinner. This is the prayer that captures the eye and the attention of God. This is the prayer that puts us uh, on the opposite side of opposing God. Have mercy on me, a sinner. I know who I am. I know who you are. I'm a sinner. I'm dependent on your mercy and grace. And your mercy and grace are my only hope, so I'm submitted to you. I'm not trusting in your mercy. I'm dependent and trusting in your grace. 
See, I'm learning it takes humility to pray. I'm learning the more I pray, the more humility I have. And this is what I want us to do today. I want this to be our prayer. And so I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. We're going to take the same posture, bowing our head in humility. (laughs) Because this is the posture of a Daniel, Daniel generation, clothed in humility. Walking in humility and one who's committed to prayer. And I'm just going to pray this and I just ask you to repeat this. Will you say, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Will you say that? God have mercy on me, a sinner. Will you say it again? God have mercy on me, a sinner. We're going to sing. And as we sing, I want you to respond however you feel led to respond. Some of you today, maybe this is the first time you've ever prayed this and you need to pray this as as a posture of repentance, renouncing your sin, trusting and acknowledging that Jesus is Lord of your life. Receiving Jesus as your Savior, confessing Him as your Lord. For some of us, Maybe there's just been, you've been walking in your pride and in your pride you've been in opposition against God and you know you're a Christ follower, you know what he's done, you've been confessing it, you, but you haven't been believing it and living out as if it's true. And maybe you need to take a step today. Maybe there's something you need to repent of today. Maybe there's something that God's been challenging you over and over again, but in your pride you said no, you put your foot down and you've been an enemy to God because your pride has put you there. I challenge you, I beg you, don't be on God's opposing side. Humble yourself, and he'll lift you up. Maybe some of you need to take a step in obedience and be baptized today. We have clothes for you. There's nothing stopping you, except what? Your pride. God. Have mercy on us, a sinner.
seeing our ushers going to come forward for those who came prepared to give but I want to just challenge you if this is your opportunity and you've never been baptized or maybe you're baptized as a child and you feel just this tug right now to take this next step don't let your pride get in the way uh, Joe's down here he'd love to help you take this next step and we want to celebrate this with you but if this is your next step Step out in humility. Follow Jesus. Will you continue to sing as, and we'll end the service with this final song of worship.
Father, may we be a people, a new breed of humanity who clothes ourselves in humility and who is committed to prayer. May this change how we interact with one another. May this change how we interact in the world that we live, in the culture where we live, in the neighborhoods that we live, in the cities that we live. And may this change the way we pray. May it change. Maybe that we pray. And let this be a marker of the generation you're calling us to be. We will follow your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Our prayer partners are available. They'd love to pray with anyone for any reason. God bless you, Westside. And do not miss next week as we finish this series, Daniel Generation. Have a great day.